All right, Village Church, how y'all doing today? Doing good, good, good. Hello to all of you across all of our sites. Um, good to have you. And this is the second week of our Coquitlam site. So again, welcome to Coquitlam. Why don't we give Coquitlam a hand? Welcome to the Village Church family. Um, it's awesome. It is our fifth site, so we're excited to have you and Marco and Vanessa and the team are there uh, doing a great job. They're great leaders, so get behind them, serve, give, get on mission, uh, invite your friends. That's why we plant churches. That's why, you know, it's core to our heart. Uh, we don't just have multiple sites for the sake of it. Uh, it's all a means to an end to reach more and more people for Jesus. So that's our heart. That's our passion. That's our desire. So thank you for being part of it, Coquitlam, and, uh, and we're excited about the future. Uh, if you've got a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we we are, and this is kind of a part two of what I want to do on uh, on relationships. And so last time, uh, last week, we hit on the idea of marriage, and we talked about the importance of marriage, and, and I shared eight things about marriage. And now uh, I want to go in almost the opposite direction, uh, because the Apostle Paul does, and he talks about the opposite of marriage, which is singleness. And he says a couple of things about it, which are really important, because we tend to um, treat singleness almost like uh, single people in the church of leprosy. And we're like, hey, there's something wrong with you if you're single. If you're not married, you know, stay away from that guy because there must be something wrong with him. And we all, and, and what Paul does here is vastly interesting is he flips it on us. And he says that this whole kind of modern evangelical conservative church culture that really values family, family, family all the time versus singleness has got it wrong. And he flips it around on us. And so it's very interesting. He says, um, and the unmarried or betrothed. So he starts over here, uh, chapter seven, verse six. So we ended at verse five, where he talked about marriage and how good it is and how it's for pleasure and protection and procreation, all these wonderful things. And now he says, now he pivots verse six. Now as a concession, not a command. Uh, he's kind of saying, uh, hey, I'm talking out loud here. I'm not necessarily saying that um, every nuance of every word I'm saying, it came from me, from the Lord. Uh, I'm just kind of talking out loud as a missiological thinker about what would work good and what wouldn't. And he says, not a command. So I'm just kind of saying here, uh, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am. And as he self is, is single, but each has his own gift from God. Now, um, there's gifts in the Bible, right? There's like, and, 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 and the minute anybody hears about the gift of singleness, they start freaking out. All right. And they're like, every 20 year old's like, Lord, give me administration. Give me a teaching gift. Give me tongues. Give me mercy. Do not give me the gift of singleness. I just denounce that in the name of Christ. So I understand that. But he's saying, man, you know what? There's, there's some people who have this wiring and ability to be uh, single, as he self is, uh, one uh, of one kind and one of another. And then he says this, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single. I mean, this is crazy. This is blowing your mind. The master class of life, you did not think the Bible was going to go here. You're going along, you're like, okay, uh, Jesus and money and family and parenting. And we talk about all those things. Now the Bible pivots and does this very interesting. I want you to remain single as I am. All right. Now there's barely any sermons on this. And the reason is he's trying to say there's a, there's a, there's a goodness in it, but, but the church, see there, this, this teaching is, is, is insanely um, counterintuitive to two groups of people in the church. The first group of people in the church, it's counterintuitive to our conservative 
Christians, modern day conservative Christians, because we tend to get very hopped up about family and, and family becomes everything. Having kids, having family, that's what I just, uh, my wife and I just went and spoke uh, down in Sacramento at a church at a marriage conference. And we got there and we thought, this was like last weekend, so we thought there'd be like, you know, a few hundred people there, big church, you know, blah, blah, you know, marriage conference, only the married people. Like, there was, uh, the guy calls me a couple minutes. He's like, hey, there's a lineup around the building. There's 2,200 people uh, at this marriage conference that you and your wife are speaking at. I'm like, sweet. So imagine though that this was a singles conference and I showed up to do a conference on singleness. There'd probably be 12 people in the audience, right? Like a janitor pushing a mop, like in the background. It'd be like echoey and dense because no one's like showing up to the singles conference. No, it's because that's the way the modern church is. We value family. We pump family. We do sermon series on family and marriage all the time. And that's kind of what we do. But Paul says, uh, I hope you will remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. I love this. He basically says this, um, the only people who should should marry our people who are, they can't have any, they don't have any self-control sexually over them. So just, and see, here's the crazy part. We often view singleness as weak. He flips it on us and goes, no, no, married people are weak. The, all the married people in the room, just look around at each other, all right? Look, look at each other, all right? You are all the people who are basically too horny to... Sorry, I did not mean to say that. I, I, my, my brain was like, too what, too what, too what? You just couldn't have any self-control in your life, all right? That's, that's what he means. <laughs> we'll delete that later. Um, all right, you, you just didn't have any self-control. You're so weak that you had to get married. That's what he's saying. The opposite of what the church says, right? Oh, you're single, you're weak, I can't believe it. You must not be able to. He goes, yeah, the only people who get married are people who lack self-control. People are like, I just can't, I don't I have no self-mastery, so I have to get married, I have to get married. And so Paul says, man, this isn't always good because, and he says, uh, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion, you bunch of crazy kids. You get married to lock yourself down so you're not just running around burning with passion everywhere. So that's his point. And the reality is, is you have conservative churches that are offended by this, that are, that are scandalized by this entire message. But he says it's actually normal. Some of the healthiest, most producing people I know in my life personally are people who are single. People who have dedicated themselves whether they're missionaries, whether they're uh, people in ministry in some capacity, or whether they're just living life and they've made Jesus a priority, whether they're young adults. Some of, the, some of the most flourishing, mature Christians I know are young adults on mission. So I'm wearing this uh, VSOM jacket. VSOM is a ministry that we do as a church, uh, Village School of Ministry. And what it basically does is it looks at uh, young people who are coming out of high school and this bridge year for them. And it gives them a year of ministry and education. And so uh, I want to just celebrate that. We've had 39, so there's two, two versions of the Village School of Ministry. The first one is um, the, this year, we've had 39 people come through, come out of high school, spend a year doing ministry, learning theology, hermeneutics, apologetics, Old Testament, New Testament, systematic theology. They go on a mission trip. And so we're actually taking applications uh, for that for the next year. You can go online, uh, uh, thisvillagechurch.com slash VSOM. Uh, if you're a student and you're going, I, I'm not sure what I want to do. I want to do ministry for a year. And they all get planted in a ministry. Uh, but here's a bunch of single 
kids coming out of high school, trying to figure out what to do, and they've dedicated their time and their energy to ministry. And then there's a second branch of it, which is a master's degree. And so when I did a master's degree, it was all head knowledge. So we decided to create a master's degree that would actually produce good pastors, good pastor theologians, who not only learned theology, but did it in the context of ministry. And so we have six master's students at Village Church right now. And if you're looking to get a master's degree, uh, be in ministry full-time, a pastor, and grow into that, you can apply to that. Uh, same website. And so we, this is where our pastors come from, is coming through uh, VSOM and understanding, here's what theology is, here's what ministry is. It's actually a brilliant ministry. A guy named Victor Maynard, one of our guys, runs it. He's an amazing, uh, amazing leader and has structured this from the bottom up because we were trying to deal with a need, which was the church uh, doesn't have theological-minded good leaders in Canada, but it also doesn't have practitioners and practical people. So my point is, is that, that um, when, when we look into that, Paul is setting himself up as an example. And I look at all these students who've dedicated their time, their energy, they go on these mission trips at the end of the year. It's an amazing experience. You should sign up for it and get your kid to. Um, but they're single and they've dedicated all this time and energy and mind, body, soul to the service of Jesus. And Paul's saying, look, yes, there's people who, who get married because they lack self-control. I get it. It happens. And he says, but I want you to be free. Now, here, here's, here's his point of the goodness of singleness. He goes, I want you to be free from anxieties. All right. Now, I know some of you, you're married. You're like, I don't have an anxiety. I don't know what he's talking about. Right, honey? All right. Um, but the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. Like he's got on their mind, like ministry and life and mission and theology and reaching people for Jesus. The unmarried person is, is freed up to have that kind of life. Right. I remember when, when, when I, um, when, when I, uh, before I was married, before I was even dating seriously, I became a Christian. And what was my life about? I would walk around. I would tell people about Jesus. I would just walk around my town smoking cigarettes at two o'clock in the morning, walking up to people and just praying for them, leading them to Jesus. I'd walk up to groups of drunk people. I'd be like, I need to tell you about Jesus. They're all smoking weed. It's like, okay, cool. Let's go. This might make sense even more to you because Jesus was kind of a hippie. And they're like, what? And so we would talk about about the kingdom of God and the way things work and how they had to repent of sin and people come to know Jesus. I would do that and I could just do anything I wanted. Here's what I didn't have. I didn't have a person calling me up saying, where are you? I'm scared. I'm nervous about where you. I could just hang, I could hang out with anybody or I could hang out with prostitutes if I wanted and spend time with them and tell them now if I hung out with prostitutes, people would be like, you have a job. You're a pastor. You have a wife. No prostitutes. Fine. All right. But the reality is, if you're free, you don't, you don't have any of these responsibilities. You are freed up to be a radical revolutionary for Jesus at all time. But when you get married, he says, here's what starts to happen. You start to be anxious about worldly things. You start to care about like mortgages and love languages. And you start arguing about curtains and plates and whether you should redo your kitchen and all this just domesticated suburban nonsense. And he's saying, I want you to be freed up to do the things of the Lord. I want you to be freed up to do mission. And so the reality is these are two worlds. I used to have this kind of life. And now I just tell people about Jesus. Now, what do I do in my weekends? I cut the grass. Right? That's what I do. I fix cupboards and stuff with my Saturdays. That's what I do. You get domesticated, man. That's what happens. You start worrying about worldly things. 
You start getting divorces. You start ruining each other's lives. You start hating each other. You got to raise kids. All these, what, what Paul says are civilian pursuits in another one of his letters. Like I think about, um, I was, we were flying to Dubai for the mission trip to Uganda a month or so ago. And uh, on the way there, so it's got a 15 and a half hour flight. And so we're flying there and I was like, about halfway through the flight, it's probably, I don't know what time it was, probably 11, 30, 12 at night. And uh, I was watching a movie or whatever, and I went up to the, go to the bathroom, and there was these two guys sitting right in the, these kind of front seats, and then there was the bathroom area, big, big open space. And uh, I just started chatting with them because I was waiting for the bathroom. And one guy's like, hey, I'm a Muslim guy, and I'm going to Dubai, and the other guy's like, I'm a Hindu guy. And so I'm like, okay, let's lay it down right here, all right? So... I just like stood there, all right, and we're chilling and we're chatting and then this thing falls over on the guy's foot and, and the airline's like, I'm so sorry, sir. And he's like, I'm a lawyer. You spilled that on the wrong foot. I'm gonna start, you know, he starts into this. And, uh, and they're like, oh, can I bring you anything? He's like, yeah, I want champagne for me and my friends. All right, and they're like, yes, sir. So there I am, 12, we're all drinking champagne at the front of the, hey, let's talk. And all of a sudden, we, I say, hey, I, I, I want to talk to these guys about Jesus. And so I started talking about what are your Muslim beliefs? I'm a pastor. I'm a, I never told them I was a pastor. I was a Christian. And we started talking about theology. And then the Hindu guy, I'm like, what about karma? And we start comparing the Quran to the New Testament and Muhammad and to Jesus. And, and we're talking about the, the, the sacred scriptures of Hinduism and karma philosophy and evil and suffering. And we're doing all this stuff. I'm up there for an hour and a half. I'm standing, just, just get, like we're having a ton of fun. And, and, and I can look back and I see my wife and she's giving me that look like. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? And so she's like, come back. And then I go back and what? And she's like, well, you, 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 Hayden wants to go to sleep and she can't sleep with you up there talking. I'm like, why? She's like, because the whole plane can hear you. <laughs> I'm like, really? This is legit. I'm going back. All right. And I went back. And I just started giving her, right? This is the reality of sin and depravity and heaven and hell. And the guy, and, and see, see what's going on there? Here's the tension, all right? I'm doing what the Lord's got me doing and my wife's trying to domesticate me, all right? <laughs> Come sit down and shut up because no one wants to hear your voice, all right? This is the tension of marriage. You're going to start going after civilian pursuits. People are going to want to domesticate you. They're going to bring you down. They're going to put you in a box and you stay here. This is what Paul's saying. Man, you're single. You don't care. You got no response. You can riff in any plane you want about anything you want. You got nobody telling you to sit down. That's in the Greek. Uh, that's what he's trying to say, right? And so he's trying to say, listen, you, you, you can't, you know, I looked at uh, this week, there was this... Uh, it's sad, man. I, I, there's this Instagram account that popped up this week. It's called Preachers and Sneakers, all right? And it's, it's crazy. It's blowing up. And it's basically this Christian guy who posts pictures of preachers, famous preachers in the U.S., uh, and they've posted pictures of themselves or they've got pictures of them preaching and, and he puts the, takes a picture of them and then he shows the retail value of the shoes that they're wearing and the clothes that they're wearing. And it's like, it's crazy, right? Like we're talking $750 Nikes, $980 US uh, Gucci pants, $3,000 jackets that they're wearing in front of everybody. And, and he posts $5,000 uh, shoes, like crazy town, right? And so everyone's kind of on this thing, looking at all these pastors. And what's crazy about it is I look at these pastors 
And I don't care to get into how they got the money and book deals and all that stuff, whatever. I don't care about that. It's more about, <clears throat> I look at these guys and these are the same guys who used to write books about how we have to be undomesticated and we have to be raw and we're called to be revolutionaries in the world and we should never hold on to the things of the world. And I look at them now and I'm like, dude, you've lost your way. You've become domesticated. The things of the world are so comfortable and easy. It's just, oh, it's just it's so nice. I like this. And, and, and there's this tension. This is what he's talking about. There happens to be things in our life that will domesticate us, that will bring us into worldly things, that will make us begin to think that this is the stuff that matters. And he's going, single people aren't like that. They got all the time in the world to be like, Jesus, what do you want me to do right now? Wake me up at two in the morning and tell me to go talk to someone. All right, I'll go talk to anybody about Jesus you want. Let's do it. That's how I used to be. And now, hi, neighbor. Oh, yeah, gas prices are bad. What's the weather look like this week? Mm -hmm. All right, that's my life now. Civilian pursuits. And he's going, you single, you have the ability to be anywhere you want, whenever you want. This is what he's trying to say. Think of the pie chart of your life, those of you who are married. How much time on mission and ministry versus your kids, your spouse, schooling, distractions, he says, from the things of the kingdom at time. And so he says, the option of singleness is actually brilliant. And he's saying, because it actually does missiological things. Marriage, as we've talked about, is a momentary blessing. Jesus wasn't married. The apostle Paul wasn't married. In fact, Christianity in the marketplace of ideas in the ancient world was very unique because every conservative religion in the world tells you to have kids because if you have kids, then your message can live on in the next generation. And Every ancient society needed kids because it was about honor, it was about money, it was about security, it was about safety, it was about having kids in the farm that can actually like, you know, do the crops and, have, and you can have a future. You can deposit yourself into the future by having kids. And Christianity comes on the scene and unique in the marketplace of ideas, its founder is single and its biggest theologian that writes 13 letters of the New Testament is single. And they look and they say, within Christianity and within kingdom, singleness is actually an option. And his point is this. Um, Stanley Hauerwas actually says this. And this is a challenge not only to conservative culture, of course, this whole idea, but the second group it's, it's a challenge to is secular culture. Because uh, secular culture loves the idea in society of having the honor, of having the heirs that you can build a company with and build a farm with and make sure that you're not shamed out. You can have kids, you can be married and Stanley Hauerwas, and, and that was the culture of the Roman Empire and the pagan culture of the time. Uh, Stanley Hauerwas, who's this writer, he says this, singleness was legitimate within Christianity in the proposition, not because sex was thought to be a questionable activity, but because the mission of the church was such that between the times, the church required those who were capable of complete service to the kingdom. And we must remember that the sacrifice made by the single is not that of giving up sex, but the more significant sacrifice is this, of giving up heirs. There can be no more radical act than this. 
as it is the clearest institutional expression that one's future is not guaranteed by the family, but by the church. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the spiritual reality of the kingdom is actually more important than any kind of idol that we've created in modern culture about the family. We think the family is the ultimate thing. Having a spouse is going to give me meaning. Having kids is going to give me meaning. He comes along and he says, at that moment, you've forgotten that the spiritual reality of relationships is thicker than blood, which is why Jesus in Mark chapter two, he's healing and he's in a house and it's rammed and they come in and they go, hey, your mom and your sister are here. They're here to talk to your brothers. And he's, he looks at them and he says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? But those who do the will of the of God, those who are bringing in the kingdom of God. That's his point. He says, this family called the church in between the times when Jesus rose and between the time he rises and comes back together again, this family called the church actually in many ways transcends that of the blood family so much so people can see what, see what he's trying to do. He's trying to give an apologetic and I'm trying to give you one about the beauty and the goodness of singleness to affirm we have probably 800 single people, maybe more, 1,500 single people in our church. I'm trying to look at you and affirm your life. This is not plan B. Some of you, yes, you're going to get married. 96% of people tend to get married because they're weak, too horny. It's twice. But some of you, you got to recognize there's an affirmation on your life. And he's saying, not everybody should get married. Have you seen a marriage where you looked at them and said, my goodness, they would have saved themselves a lot of pain and agony if they had not been married. That's what Paul's saying. Not everybody should get married. Guys, I've been doing premarital counseling for 20 years almost. And believe me, there's a percentage of these couples that I look at and I say, you shouldn't have got married. That's what Paul's saying. Save yourself the strife the agony, the destruction, set yourself aside. It's what Jesus called in Matthew chapter 19. You know, there's this paradigm. He called it eunuchs for the kingdom. A eunuch was someone who, um, who cut their organs off, uh, dedicated themselves to pietism, to religion or whatever. And Jesus actually in Matthew 19 says that there will be eunuchs for the kingdom. He didn't mean literally. He just meant people who set aside their life and their time and their money and their energy toward the advancement of the kingdom instead of towards civilian pursuits. And that's his point, that it's a viable way of life. One writer has said it this way, one of the clear differences between Christianity and other religions is Christianity's entertainment of the idea of singleness as the paradigm way of life for its followers. Not everyone should get married. That's the reality. Things can get done. Now, some of you might go, yeah, 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 but if I'm not married, I'm not going to produce. I'm not going to do anything of value in the world. Let me tell you something. Um, so you guys know my favorite writer, C.S. Lewis, right? Clearly produced some things in his life. <laughs> Oxford professor, wrote some of the biggest, you know, books, most popular books in the history of Western culture. Um, was 58 before he got married. Only married four years. Joy Davidson, she died of cancer four years after they got married. Crushed him. Um, he got some things done. Even though he wasn't married. Even though he was single. You can produce. Now, I read something um, 
I was reading a book called The Inklings, about The Inklings the other day, which was C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and Charles Williams. They used to sit around at a pub in England and, and talk about and read each other their notes and ideas and that kind of stuff. I've talked to you about them before. And uh, here is, here is a, a note that Lewis wrote in his, uh, in his diary one night. He says, <clears throat> this is a really important point. Those are the golden sessions. When our slippers are on, our feet spread out toward the blaze and our drinks at our elbows, when the whole world and something beyond the world opens itself to our minds as we talk. All of us are in those moments free men and equals as if we had first met an hour ago while at the same time an affection mellowed by the years unfolds us. Life, natural life, listen to this, has no better gift to give. Who could have deserved it? See, what he's saying is sex is not the greatest gift the world has to offer. He's talking about buddies that he hangs out with, friends as he sits by the fire and he opens up ideas. He's saying marriage, you know, the world is a pretty amazing, expansive place and actually the most transcendent things. Now, hear what I'm saying here because the church doesn't talk like this, okay? that the most transcendent things in the world don't actually happen in the context of marriage. They're deeper than that. Sometimes they happen outside of the context of marriage. Sometimes, like there's, listen, don't take this the wrong way. I love my wife, okay? I love her. She's amazing. She's, I, 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 I couldn't be married to anyone else. She's, she's unreal. She, the, the love, the friendship, the, the connection, we just, we're just like perfect for each other and everyone. She's amazing, amazing, amazing. But to be honest with you, some of the best things that I experience in my life are not with her, right? Let's just admit that. I know we don't want to admit there's no honey, honey, it's always you, it's always you, it's me and you, it's always you. You blow my mind, it's amazing. Every great thing I experience is with you. But to be honest, I experience, there's moments I'm having a talk with four guy friends or we're traveling and doing, listen, I, this week, let me tell you the most significant thing I did this week. I watched this video on Tiger Woods and his return to golf. And now I don't cry. I don't cry. Like, I don't know that I cried at my own dad's funeral. But watching this video, I bawled like a baby. The tiger is back. <laughs> and I'm watching it and the music's... And the guy's, oh, if you're not cheering for Tiger this week, you are broken inside. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> and so I like, I like went behind the veil, man. Like I experienced something transcendent. I was like, I was connecting to art, man. I was connected to some bigger story. And so the most important, significant, emotional thing that happened to me that week was watching this video. So I bring this gold crystal to my wife. And I'm going to lay it before her in a perfect environment, because it can't be ruined by kids going, mama, mommy. It's like kids are in bed, been there for a while. Watch this, honey. When I show it to her, she, she's watching it. She's like looking away from it. I'm like, no, no, you got to look at it. Look at it, look at it. Yeah, yeah. And it ends and I'm crying again. She looks over at me. She's like, yeah, that's great. Something's wrong with you. Boom. And I'm like, talking about, just put pearls in front of swine here. A couple weeks ago, I had the great privilege through a charitable thing to go play Pebble Beach. Okay, Pebble Beach for a golfer, that is like 
that's the, that's the one. That's the best golf. I mean, other than Augusta, Pebble Beach, that is heaven on earth for a golfer. That's like, and I got invited to go and I went and I played it. And it was the most magical place I've ever been in my life. And I've been to Israel, all right? Save your emails. All right, so it was like, it was, there was something special. And I, and I explained it to Aaron. I'm like, you gotta. And so the next day I'm like, you gotta come down. You gotta look at it. You gotta see, you gotta take it all in. And I take her down and I just put her there. I'm like, look, it's Pebble, it's Pebble. She's like, when are we going to the stores? I'm like, all right, let's go. All right, I just can't share this with you. You don't get it. Some of the most significant things about my life and about yours are going to be outside of the context of marriage because he's saying things of the Lord that please the Lord. Sometimes those things, the things that please the Lord are things that you find and they're things that, that you do outside of the context of hanging with your spouse. That's the reality. And so Christianity, and I'm spending so much time on this one point, and it's basically just one big idea in the whole message today. Because we don't talk about it and because we tend to elevate the idol of family so much so, and Christianity comes along. And those of you who are seeking Christianity and you're wondering whether you should become a Christian and follow Jesus and follow the ways of the New Testament, the reality is it gives us this beautiful paradigm where it says marriage is not the definitive thing, which is why Jesus can go along and say, really, there's only you know, maybe two legitimate reasons to divorce. Paul lists one about death and he says, if one of you dies, you're freed up to marry again and so on and so forth. The reason he can do that is because he's saying marriage isn't the most ultimate thing in the universe. Your happiness in your marriage is not actually the most important part of the most important thing in the universe. Your faithfulness and obedience to a covenant that you took is because for all the talk of victory that we have and all of our songs and all we do, we got to have victory. You got to have victory. The reality of the Bible is about your victory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I care about is your obedience to what I've called you to and faithfulness to the things I've called you to. Your happiness in the context of your marriage is not the most important question in the universe. And in heaven, there won't even be marriage. We'll all be single. And so Paul's going, look at this reality coming into the present. There's people who are set aside for this and it's actually a beautiful thing. It's amazing. I mean, my wife is such a great example of this because we'll be sitting around with friends and, and she said to me the other day, she said, you know, if anything ever happened to you, Mark, if you died, I would never marry again. Isn't it nice when your spouse says that? It's so nice. So then I said it too. And then everyone laughed that I was having dinner with. She's like, I would never marry again. And everyone's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and all the women are like, yep, I wouldn't either. And then I'm like, and honey, if you died, I would never marry again. And everyone, bah! <laughs> you'd be married in a year. Easy. Why? Because you're weak. beautiful reality is Jesus as a single man comes and somehow we've created something where singleness is a parasite. It's negative. It's something to run from. And Paul, big idea, pretty simple. He lays out a situation. A single man changed the world, died for the world, took on the wrath of God for the world, gave himself up for the world. Paul is saying, I wish you were like me more because I'm giving my life to it too. And so he says, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. 
But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And he goes on to say the reverse. And the reality is, what is our life supposed to be defined by? The things of the Lord becoming holy in body and spirit. That is more important to Jesus than any kind of human relationship we might have. Some of you, you simply have the wrong goal. You have started to care more about your marriage than you do about Jesus. You have started to care about the things of the world, the worldly influences, the civilian pursuits, more than the one who calls you and says, you have a short amount of time on this planet. Use it for me versus for yourself and the things that you can see around you. Those are temporal things. They're not infinite things. They're not eternal things. It means all you're caring about is your 76 years versus your 76 million. And Paul wants to flip it before he moves on to the next chapter and he lands it. And he says, there's beautiful things about marriage, verse one to five, but let me stop and pivot for like 30 verses and tell you there's a beautiful thing about singleness. And those of you who are single know God may have you there for life. And that would be beautiful. Let me pray for us. Father, this one big idea needs to be reiterated over and over again to our brains because in our experience, we miss it. And we elevate the idol of family, the idol of kids. And Jesus constantly pushed back against a conservative culture religiously that did that and said, yes, there are pagan idols that will ruin your life, but there are religious idols that can ruin your life. Things that are good things like family that become God things and destroy your soul and the mission I have you on in the world. And I just pray we as a church are very clear to prioritize the things you are calling us to versus the things the people around us are calling us to. that we would be a church on mission in every way. If we are married with families, that we would love and serve them unto the glory of God for the good of the world, that people would come to know you. And that maybe actually some people right now, the thing they need to do is go, I am married. I've got off mission in that way. I'm not good at that. I don't have the right priorities. Do that work among my family and who I am. And then those of you who are single and you're feeling honestly pressure and like second-class citizens that you would know that God is saying, you are beloved. I am well-pleased. You follow my son. You do not follow the pressure and the opinions of the people around you. I have you where you are to do amazing things. You are freed up in ways that married people aren't. Make the most of it in this moment for the sake of the kingdom. Do that among us. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.